Open your copy of God's Word with me to Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 8, looking at Romans 15, 8 through 13 together this morning. Hear now as I read. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles and all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You know, when I first read that passage, probably like some of you, if you're looking at it for the first time, you're saying, good grief, what's that about and why do I need that? I want us to think about it. So there's a lot in this passage on hope and walking out of here with more hope than you came in. And I hope you truly see that. Uh, this passage is, is a conclusion to uh, the verses that preceded it. Let's, let's kind of get into it by just putting yourself in a conflict. Let's say you're frustrated with somebody else at, at home, at work, at school, and you've got a close friend who says, everybody knows y'all are frustrated with each other, just fix it. Just fix it. In other words, whatever this frustration is, they know you have the ability to fix it. You know what to do. You know how to do it. It's not rocket science. I just need to go to that person. I need to apologize. We need to air it out. Whatever we got to do, we just need to fix it. But you don't. Why is it you don't fix this conflict, this frustration that you have with someone else? A lot of times it's because you're not sure, really sure of the value. You're not really sure it's worth it. You don't really have sufficient reason to go out of your way to fix it. There are times where we need strong rationale, and that's what God is giving us here. Because if you remember a few weeks ago, I was preaching in chapter 14, 1, all the way to chapter 15, verse 7, and that passage is a passage about how to love and get along with one another, especially those you think are weak in the faith, Weaker than you, if you're the strong believer or the weak believer, how to get along. That passage starts out in chapter 14, 1 with, as the one who is weak. So there may be weak people in this room among us. It says, you need to learn how to get along with that person. Or chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong. So God introduces two categories of believers, weak believers and strong believers. And he says, you need to get along together. And to get along, I presented to you these nine guidelines. If you just go verse by verse through Romans 14, all the way down to chapter 15, verse 7, there are nine things that God tells us to do to get along with one another. Number one, accept who God accepts. 
God's chosen them. You have to, too. We've, it's not an option. God determines who's in his family. Let's be family members. Number two, be biblical, not opinionated. Number three, claim Christ's lordship as our living rationale. Lord, He's Lord of both. Number four, despise none more than self. A lot of times we think way too highly of ourselves instead of preferring others as more important. Number five, edify, don't destroy. Number six, follow after peace and more peace. Number seven, God and doubts are sufficient guides to help us move forward. Number eight, humility without self-pleasure goes a long way. And then number nine, instruction from the scriptures actually unites us, brings us together. It doesn't divide us. It's a myth that uh, you've been told doctrine divides. No, doctrine unites and brings us together. And we both get into God's word it draws us to Christ and to one another. So that's, that's this passage on unity from Romans 14, 1, all the way to verse 15, chapter 15, verse 7. And that's the conclusion. Look at verse 7, chapter 15. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. You started that way in verse, chapter 14, verse 1. You need to welcome those who are weak. He ends that way. You need to welcome one another, be unified with one another. And then notice a hint of where we're going in verse 7. Welcome one another how? How do you want me to do this, God? As Christ has welcomed you. Now that's a hint of where we're headed. Because when you get to verse 8, and it starts saying Christ served the circumcised, us Gentiles are thinking, what in the world? Why don't we just switch gears and talk about Christ serving circumcised people? He had just gave us a hint. He says, I want you to welcome one another just like Christ. And now he's going to present to you how Christ welcomed the circumcised, the Jews, and how Christ welcomes the Gentiles. And our job is to welcome one another in the same way. Way And if you understand this and get how Christ welcomes Jews and then Gentiles, it fills you with an abounding hope. Chapter 15, verse 13 says, I want you to have this abounding hope, and you're not going to have it unless you understand how Christ welcomes his church. First starts off by welcoming the Jews, and that's, that's, that's not difficult. You, you understand that uh, when Jesus came to earth, he came to his own, to the Jew. Jesus was the God of the Jew. It started way back with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God creating a national church, and that national body were Jews. Christ came and he started serving the Jews. That's what the prophet said he would do. That's what we expected. That's exactly what he did. He came and he started serving the Jews. But then he switched gears because they, not many of them, really received him. And he switched and went to the Gentiles and started serving the Gentiles. Now, for us, this far removed from those days, it might be a little difficult for us to remember even to this day, how different Jews and Gentiles are. So let's imagine we're in church and uh, we're a bunch of Jews 
we've received Christ. So thankful he has come to die in our place and serve us with his own body and his own blood. And then comes in a Gentile. Now, we've been trained, we've been raised up. Don't even eat with a Gentile. What in the world could a Gentile possibly bring to the table? When they walk in the room, a Gentile is disgusting, despicable. We've been taught to despise them. And now Jesus is telling us to welcome them. Talk about somebody who is weak. The Gentiles have not been reading a Bible. They haven't been raised up with the Bible. They have weak knowledge of the Scriptures. The Gentiles don't know how to walk holy. They don't even know how to wash their hands before they come to church. The Gentiles don't look right. They don't smell right. They don't eat right. They don't read right. They, we can't possibly welcome them. And Jesus says, hold on, watch me welcome the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And when you see how much I love them, it will fill you with hope. That's the rationale for us coming together and welcoming one another. Instead of this passage being a distraction, it becomes a, a, a wonderful um, hope to us. Look at just a simple passage, Galatians chapter 3, 27 through 29. Galatians 3, you get a feel for how we are one. Galatians 3, 27. God's word says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What Paul is saying there is, if you think that divide between Jew and Gentile continues, Paul says, no, it doesn't. Not only did Christ come and serve and welcome the Jews... But he has served and welcomed the Gentiles in such a manner that we are now one. You say, well, Jews would say, well, no, but we're the biological heirs of Abraham. And Paul says, no, we're all heirs. We're all Abraham's offspring. We are all followers of the law of God. We are one. Now there's no longer a Jew and a Gentile. There's just one. It's a Christian. It's a follower of God. God has welcomed us both alike. He's welcomed us whether we're male or female, whether we are in bondage or free. We are all one in Christ, heirs of the promise. That's what he's trying to get us to see, the extent and the beauty of Christ welcoming Jew and Gentile alike. Now, let's get real here, and I'll get back to this in a little while. It's so easy for us to get cliquish politically. It's so easy for us to get denominational ecclesiastically. It's easy for us to begin to think we are not one. You're not like me. I'm not like you. I mean, you just let somebody walk through the doors 
and do something that we consider disgusting or despicable, and under somebody's breath, it'll be, well, he's a Republican. He's a Democrat. Or somebody else does something, well, Presbyterians, Baptists. We start dividing ourselves, don't we? Instead of seeing we are one. And we're carrying on the tradition of wanting to be Jew or Gentile, wanting to be this or that, instead of wanting to be one follower of Christ with one voice for the glory and honor of Christ, one people, one family of God. And that's why this passage is here, is to draw us back away from those divisions, back to a unity of welcoming one another. Because our tendency is when we put people in categories, whether it's the weak or the strong, our tendency is not to welcome them as wholeheartedly. It's not to welcome them as Christ has welcomed us. And that's the requirement here. I want you to welcome them, those people that you think are different than you. I want you to welcome them like Christ would welcome them. And if you do so, it will cause your hope to abound. If you don't do so, you're living as somebody who's has weak hope, and I don't want that for you. I don't think you want that for yourself. So let's look through this passage and begin to see how Christ truly welcomed the Gentiles. First of all, let's look at verse 8. The, the promises of Christ here says, uh, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Well, we know God promised the patriarchs that they would be, these Jews would be his chosen people. Let's look at it real quick. Uh, look at Genesis chapter seven, 12. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses. This is the call of Abraham, father of our faith. And it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'm going to show you, and I will make of you a great nation. So here's the first promise of being a national people of God. The national church begins here through Abraham. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, and here's key, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A hint that the national church is going to somehow reach out and be a blessing to all the families, to the great nations. Look at chapter 17 of Genesis. Chapter 17, verse 4. And here you see it again. This is where circumcision, the mark of being the people of God, the strong mark, not the weak one, is introduced in this chapter. But I just let me just focus on verse 4. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. 
So it was already told to the prophets, the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith, that God was going to be a God to a nation first. And that, that after that nation's established, it's going international, that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. So it wasn't going to stay with just the Jew. Somehow the Jew, they felt so special and got to believe they were the only ones special and had forgotten the promises. And so when you get to Romans 15 and you see that, verse 8, that's what's going on. It says, Christ came to serve the circumcised. That's true. Everybody knows it. He came to, to, to serve those who had the strong mark of God upon them, circumcision, the Jew. And it confirms that God does what he says. He keeps his promises, that he's truthful. He does what needs to be done to confirm his promises. He serves the Jews just like he said he would do. That's exactly what Christ came to do. Then verse 9. In order that the Gentiles... See, there's the nations. If you weren't a Jew, you were some, you know, some other nation, and those were referred to as the Gentile nations. So in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So it goes from the Jew to the Gentiles. What mercy? Same mercy. When Jesus showed up, he said as much. Look at John chapter 10, verse 16. You just refresh your memory, this statement that Christ made. John 10, verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep. He's talking to the Jewish sheep. He says, Y'all understand, I've got other sheep, right? That are not of this fold. In other words, I've got sheep that aren't Jews. And I must bring them also, they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. The intention was never to have Jew and Gentile to be divided, but to be one. One flock with one shepherd. Jesus made it clear as he was serving the Jew. He says, I'm also going to be serving the Gentile. I've got Gentile sheep that will be adopted into my family, into my church. When you get to the book of Acts after Christ's ascension, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Key little phrase many people miss is they, they, they think about this first sermon that uh, Stephen is, uh, Peter's preaching uh, at Pentecost. Who was, who was in the audience? Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from where? Every nation. Already the first sermon of the church that Peter preaches is an international message to every nation. Christ came and died on the cross to save believing Jews, but then to save believing Gentiles. And he brings to the preaching of God's word about the resurrection of Christ, people from every nation. No longer is God just gathering Jews, but he's gathering people from every nation to be his. And salvation comes to us, how? By grace, by his mercy. Look at Titus chapter 3, uh, verses 4 through 6. Love this passage. Titus 3, verses 4 through 6 says, 
When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. How are we saved? We're saved by Christ alone, pouring out His mercy to us. Now, if Christ has welcomed the Jew and the Gentile, He says, I want you to do the same thing. Don't make divisions among yourself. Yes, there are people among you that are weak. They weren't raised like you. They don't know the scriptures like you. They don't have the same traditions as you. But they have the same shepherd. And they're hearing the same voice. And they're saved by the same grace. It's interesting to me at times... When I sit down with people that are really different than me, to just come back to that, that thought, Lord, I'm not sure they get it, you know, is what I'm thinking. I'm not sure they understand doctrine very well. I'm not sure they've really read their Bible. I'm not sure they understand. And then have the Holy Spirit remind me, but David, did they get saving grace? David, did they bow their heads and pray to the same Lord you pray to and if my answer is yes Lord they do and then God says they're your brother they're your sister you are one in the faith with them don't be divisive learn to embrace them learn to welcome them and love them encourage them to love you because you are my family. The household of God. That's where God wants us to be. The promises of God are fulfilled for the Jew and the Gentile. Getting back to Romans then. We've looked at 8 and 9. Notice as soon as he, he introduces verse 8 and 9, these promises have been made true. God spoke them. God fulfilled them. And notice as soon as he says he fulfills them, that the promises go to us, the Gentiles, verse 9, in order that the Gentiles, and I just want you to see verse 9, 10, 11, and 12, the way I think Paul expected us to read them. Verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. In other words, you might not have had an Old Testament Bible when you first saw this, but he says, this was written down in the Old Testament. This should be common knowledge. So it was written what was written. And you see, the next phrase comes right out of 2 Samuel 22, and it also comes out of Psalm 18. The next phrase, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. It was promised that Gentiles would be singers, that we would sing to the praise and to the name of Jesus. It was promised in 2 Samuel. It was promised in Psalm 18. And again, catch this, he says it four times. Verse 10, and again it is said, meaning it was written in the Bible. Some, some prophet already spoke it, and he's quoting here Deuteronomy 32. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles. Just keep singing, Gentiles. This is cool stuff. You've been welcomed into the church of God. Verse 11, and again, a direct quote out of Psalm 117. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Keep singing, Gentiles, that all the people, 
all the nations rejoice and extol God. Verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, so if you don't know your Bibles, he tells you where this one's found. This is in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. You, do you catch the strength of that? Gentiles, wake up. <coughs> You've been welcomed into the family of God. Again, sing. And again, sing. And again, rejoice. And again, you've got eternal hope because you belong to Christ. Christ came to do something for you. The beauty of him just hammering that, showing us the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ and it's his choice of you and his choice of me. And it's all for the glory. I love that. Glor Gentiles might glorify God. Sometimes people think that all that Jesus came to do was save sinners. No, no, no. Jesus came to glorify the Father in himself. And he even tells us the Holy Spirit in John 14, the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify the Father through the Son. It's for the glory of God that this promise he made of starting a people, starting a church, starting with a nation, going international to every nation. May it bring glory to God from every nation. That's what Christ wanted to see. Um, there was no difficulty seeing where God was going. God had promised this. So when God shows up in Christ, he fulfills it. Um, you see the phrase there, root of Jesse, in verse 12. Just a love of Christ for his church. That he's willing to humble himself to the lowest part. A root of a tree that's left after burning, is the way Isaiah describes it. It's, it's the root. It's underground. And yet, that's what Christ picks. He says, that's, that's what I did. I, I emerged from death and de decay. From abandonment. From destruction out of the Old Testament to come into the New Testament and make that national church that had abandoned me international to all the Gentiles to grow up to be a stately monument for, for God's glory to welcome others to welcome the Gentiles um, Christ's purpose was always to bring us together to unite us with the Jew and to unite the Jew with, a, uh, with us um, Church unity, then in verse 12, is us together, Jew and Gentile together. Uh, and that brings us hope. Now, let me just, there's a, a clearer passage. I just want to read through it real quickly. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Reading the scripture is good. Just, just listen as, as God's word shows you how he puts the Jew and Gentiles together here. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, so directly talking to us, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. You remember stories in the Old Testament where the Jew who was circumcised would call other people uncircumcised. You remember David and Goliath's story, right? You uncircumcised Philistines. I mean, it, to use that term was always a term of 
discuss. We hate you unclean Gentiles. That's the way the Jews refer to us. He says, he says now I want to write to you unclean, uncircumcised Gentiles. I don't want to show you what I've done. Because you could feel like you were the outcast and would never have hope of being the special people of God. Verse um, 12. Remember that you were at that time separated. So there was a time where the Jews had special treatment in relation with Christ. You were separated, us Gentiles, from Christ. Verse 11. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And we were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope. See, God was the God of the Jew. So we Gentiles had no hope. We were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, so us, who's the us? Jew and Gentile, made us both one. And he's broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. How does Christ welcome us? He kills all hostility. He doesn't look at us as despicable outcasts. Verse 17, And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. So the far off the Gentiles, the peace to the, to the Jew who is near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hallelujah. God has given us himself. He's given us a place in his family, his household, in his church, so that we can be a people of hope. Now, back in Romans, once you see that's what he's doing, welcoming us, he, if you catch it, it's like me, it's hallelujah, that's so good news. And that's what he does in verse 13. He goes into benediction. Verse 13 is a benediction. May the God of hope, you can just see Paul hold up his hands, may the God of hope, this is so cool, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The conclusion of all of this is joy and peace. You remember back in Romans 17, he says, the kingdom of God's not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not us being divided. The kingdom of God is joy and peace. It's righteousness, joy, and peace. He said, I want you to be filled with this righteousness, this joy, and this peace. And I think it's interesting that he brings joy up before peace here. Because you really don't get peace until you get joy. And sometimes that's where our bottleneck is. That's where our hang-up is. 
uh, give you an example. Uh, go talk to somebody who wakes up, you know, grumpy and frustrated and tired and hurting. And, 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 and you have no idea that they're grumpy this morning, but uh, you say, hey, how you doing? Oh, shut up. Whoa. No peace, right? Because they didn't have any joy. Go ex- jump and ask somebody, somebody that's just bopping around, happy, excited. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? You know, there's peace. Joy leads to peace. And many times we aren't full of the joy that it is that we have reconciliation with God. How good is that, that there's the possibility we don't die and go to hell. We don't die and are eternally separated from God. How good it is that there's the possibility. It's not just the Jew going to heaven, but Gentiles are going to heaven too. When you get that, and it fills you with joy, and it's because of grace, not your works, that's when you can start having peace with one another. He says, that's where I want you to get, is this, this joy that leads to real, tangible peace with others. Notice the word believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's our responsibility. If you're not believing, you're probably not having that joy and hope. Do you believe Jesus welcomed you a despicable Gentile? See, if you don't believe it, you won't have the joy. You won't have the hope. Don't leave out of here without believing. Because you're leaving out of here without God and without hope in this world. I don't want people to go to bed at night with no hope. That their eternity is secure. The solution is believing that Christ came to take his national church international. To take his grace to a multitude of Gentiles who would believe in him. And to as many as believe in him, to them he gives the right to be his children. To be adopted into his family. To be with him Forever. So it's in believing that the God of hope, what a description, the God of hope, he's the author of hope. He wants to give out hope, the giver of hope. The God of hope wants to give you joy and peace in believing and in power, the power to just abound in more and more hope. It's not natural for you to have hope. Just look at somebody in the world. They don't naturally have hope. They don't know about tomorrow. They don't know where they're going when they die. They don't have hope. It's not a natural thing. It's, I want you to have this. And you have it in believing that Christ didn't just love Jews, but that Christ loved and went to Gentiles, that he had sheep of another fold that were Gentiles. Let's make it real personal. I was at uh, Bill's Bourbon Club a while back. Some man walks in, coach from the other side of town. I only know him as coach. Nice guy. And so I first got introduced to coach. 
And he at some point very quickly said, I perceive you're a preacher. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, okay, what, what kind of church? And I said, coach, I don't want to answer that question. I don't want to answer it the way you ask it. And I said, I'll tell you why. I said, I, I will answer it. Then I'll tell you why I don't want to answer it the way you ask it. I said, I'll answer it this way. I'm a preacher at a church that preaches the Bible. We get into the scriptures. We faithfully seek to expound the scriptures and follow the scriptures. That's the kind of church I am a pastor at. He said, okay, man, I get it. You're, you're, you're on the word and you're trying to get the word to your people. But I didn't answer your question, did I? He said, no, what kind of church is it? And I said, that's what I don't want to answer. And I said, I'll tell you why. Because as soon as I say Presbyterian, Baptist, Episcopalian, Lutheran, non-denominational, Catholic, it doesn't matter what I say. As soon as I say one, in your mind, you've already decided, oh, you're one of those. You're one of those. Because we all have our divided categories. And not only am I one of those, whatever those are in your mind, but I'm also a white man, you're a black man. So my kind and your kind are not the same kind. And we don't end up welcoming one another, do we? We become divided. We don't see our unity in Christ. We didn't see that Christ came that we might be one. One people with one shepherd, with one Lord, welcoming one another amidst the unbelievable differences to the degree that the world looks in and says, wow, they love each other. And how is it so? And it's so because they have the same shepherd. And they are fellow members of his flock, of his household. How many times something come up in your conversations at school, at work, wherever? You say, well, you know, we don't agree. We don't believe the same thing. Why? Well, because he's an Anglican. He's non-denominational. He's Baptist. He's Presbyterian. He's black. He's white. It's not a matter of Racism. It's not a matter of denominationalism. It's a matter of getting back to Christ's. Do you believe I welcomed you? So I'll even back it up. Do you believe the Jew was special? And you say, sure, I believe the Jew was special. He says, well, then do you believe you're special? What? Because I welcomed a Jew to get to the Gentile and to go to every nation. Do you believe I welcomed the Jew, and then turned around and welcomed you. And you say, okay, sure. Well, then welcome one another as I have welcomed you. That's the conclusion. And he says, and if you believe that I welcomed you, you will have joy and peace. 
Now, if you were to die today, or you get in a situation today where you're struggling because of your illness, sickness, tragedy, happens, whatever, and you're wondering, I could die tonight. If you're in that situation and you say, I wonder what tomorrow will be like if I die tonight. If you're in that situation without hope, why are you in that situation without hope? It's because you're not believing. Jesus welcomes Jew and Gentile. You must be believing he has already welcomed you as his own. That he died to take care of your sins and to welcome you into his household. Say it another way. Do you feel special? Do you feel like you are somebody to God? That's what God is saying. He says, when I choose you, I make you my special child in my house. I don't choose the whole world. I've chosen you. If you leave today and don't feel special, it's because you haven't believed that Jesus has welcomed you. He's chosen you as his own. Get back to believing what Christ has really done. It's confirmed, you see. The prophets told us. The promises were written down. It's real. Jesus shows up and he confirms it. It's historical fact. Historical record. Nobody doubts it. So just believe that he has chosen you. As many as believe in him, to them he gives the right to be his children. That's to be special. That's to die with abounding hope. I know whose I am. And I believe that he is able to keep me and to take me to himself because he's already confirmed it. He's already showed himself faithful to do that over and over and over again and then written it down. There's no doubt about what Christ can do. Um, God doesn't give a scripture like this that we don't need, you see. This is a wonderful passage of bringing us right where we need to be. Are we still divided? It's because if, if we are, it's because we're not receiving one another like Christ has received us. What do we need to do? We, we need to rejoice, sing, praise God for his faithfulness to his word, to his promises, to welcome sinners like us. We need to repent of our pathetic way of sometimes welcoming others. There are people that sometimes walk into a room where we are in and they immediately feel judged or condemned or not welcomed. That needs to go away. We know that's wrong. We need to welcome people like Christ welcomes us. We wouldn't want to feel that way going anywhere. Let us be those who embrace the body of Christ, those people who are so unlike us. And I, I really think when we get to heaven, our kind, whatever you want to call that, the word that came to my mind was white honkies, okay? Our kind is going to be the minority probably in heaven. 
the nations are so much bigger than different than us. And it's just wrong for us to think God only saves our kind. When God is saving all kinds in every nation, tribe, and tongue. Let us repent of the idea that our kind's the strong kind and everybody else is the weak kind. Let us bring it down to where it's all about being at the foot of the cross and receiving Jesus, being welcomed by him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. We repent, we do, we stop, and there are people that we are divided um, uh, with right now. And Lord, we need to fix it. But we can't fix it unless we're like Jesus. We need to know that you're the fixer, that only you can reconcile people who have divided themselves, making ourselves to be more than we are. Father, may we come back to Jesus and see that he designed for us to be one, one in him, unified by him. May the power of your spirit right now, O Lord, Cause us to abound in the hope that we are yours for eternity because we see right now we are yours. We're yours now. You have welcomed us into your home, to this place, to your table. We don't bring anything to the table ourselves except our sin. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins that you would unite us with our brothers and sisters all across the globe, that we would again be one people for God, showing the world the beautiful love that's only known through Christ our Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.